We want things set right. And when someone doesn't play the game of fairness, it ticks us off. Some of us would like to do that when somebody cuts in and takes the parking space. But what happens when you're always trying to be fair? And the other person, the other party, the other group won't play fair. It kind of gets in your heart. It kind of gets in your soul. It kind of bugs you a lot. And sometimes when someone hasn't played fair, it just, it, just, it, just, it just stays there. And it can stay there for a long time. remember so watch out don't be taunting elephants especially baby ones they make them but you know we want fairness we want in a sense revenge or setting the record right even when it uh, causes a problem uh, we just we just we just want that and then sometimes we find ourselves being uh, taken advantage of and the other person has power over us and we just want it set right, and it just, it just brings us down. Who else has a question for Officer Dan? What if someone steals from you? Well, that's not good. You should what never... What if someone steals from you a lot, like all the time? Then they go away for a long time. So watch out, dads. Watch out big time. You know, some would say life is fair because uh, this isn't in your message, guy, but life is fair because it's unfair to everyone. And so it's fair, but uh, that doesn't emotionally satisfy us. And those of us who are Christ followers, those of us who are trying to live like Jesus, love and live like Jesus, to make a difference, um, this playing fair or when someone doesn't play fair, especially when we would consider them other Christ followers, is just hard to take. It's hard to take. It's when it's in our relationships, when we feel like it might be in our marriage or it might be with our kids or it might be with our parents. It is tough when we feel that they're not playing fair. So we're going to talk about that. When others don't play fair, what do we do? And we're going to see, building off last week from 1 Samuel 19, now we're into 1 Samuel 20, we're going to see that David tries to play fair. He tries to do things right. And Saul doesn't play fair. You can't trust his word. You can't trust anything. His proclamations, his actions, you can't trust anything. But David continues on trying to play fair. 
And later on, we're going to see in future messages that even when he has the opportunity to take out his adversary and his men are all saying, do it, do it, do it, he wants to play fair. And he has two opportunities of that. So all this is unfolding. We've seen Saul throw spears at David. We've seen Saul try to get him to marry one daughter, then another daughter. And then when he marries the second daughter, hoping that uh, this will put a target on his back when he's out there fighting the, the wicked Philistines. But he seems to win and his popularity and everything goes gets stronger and Saul gets more frustrated. And Saul starts to keep his hidden desire to take out David, starts to come out. And again, David responds with playing unfair in a sense because he does not play fair. He, he gives Saul the benefit. And um, we can be in those same situations at work, at home, in our neighborhood, in our government system, whatever it may be, it's hard when someone isn't playing fair. So let's uh, look at this. Um, we're going to use the message translation paraphrase in the beginning. And uh, sometimes there's questions about that. Eugene Peterson, I encourage you to read about him. Uh, he was a Greek Hebrew scholar, and he translates from the original languages into the um, ideas. And that's called didactic translation work. And actually, that's what all our Wycliffe uh, missionaries do, is they translate words to ideas. And actually, they've even done it in our more mainstream English um, translations. Those aren't, those, it's not, they try to do word for word, but if you knew Greek and Hebrew, which I'm not a scholar, if I knew, you knew Greek and Hebrew, it, it's sometimes hard. There are ideas, there are concepts, and we're going to even pull one of those out today uh, when we see, again, this uh, treating people fair. So we'll talk about that a little bit more, but just, just so you're understanding that. By the way, the back screen is not working. I don't know if that can be fixed without messing everything up, but I'm just going to continue on here. That's more I read the passages usually. So as we see this, first of all, we start off, uh, David got out of Naioth and Ramah alive and went to Jonathan. If you remember last week, uh, they were following David. A couple groups got up there, couldn't get him. They started praising God, prophesying, and uh, it just, it just uh, they got stuck. And then Saul himself goes, and the same thing happens to him. So David, if that hadn't happened, probably would have been caught, and, uh, and Saul's attention was to be executed. So that doesn't happen, and he gets out alive. So later on, he's uh, talking with uh, Jonathan. He goes to Jonathan, we read, What do I do now? What wrong have I inflicted on your father that makes me so determined to kill me? And there's nothing David is one of Saul's greatest allies. Have you ever had someone that's your greatest ally? Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a dear friend. Maybe it's a parent. And they've betrayed you. Um, hopefully they didn't try to kill you. But in a sense, they've taken a piece of your soul, taken a piece of your heart. 
when you go, what did I do wrong? Usually you reflect in those moments, go, I'm not perfect, and all of that, but when it all shakes out, you realize you're real, they've, they've just got it out for you. And then you have to work really hard not to have a chip on your shoulder. One time I had a, a pastor friend of mine uh, whose father had been a pastor, and we were just talking about church life, and he said to me, Dave, don't let church members or people that go to your church become a close friend. Go, why? He says, because they're the, they're the, they will quickly stab you in the back. So don't open yourself up to that kind of hurt. And I was like, wow. There was a guy who was in a situation where people had not played fair, and he was jaded. And, uh, you know, I, I followed this friend of mine, and uh, he went from church to church, and he was, oh, he was so talented. Greatest speaking Dallas theological grad, if you know anything about that. It was a big deal, and, and uh, he would, he, he had a keen mind. He could memorize, he would manuscript everything and then memorize it, and, and it was just, it was just fantastic. But he had this chip on his shoulder. He could never get away from that. And some of us, some of us have been in churches and with other Christians, or some of us aren't even Christians, but we've seen other Christians, and, and they haven't played fair, and we've got a chip on our shoulder. Someone was determined to hurt you, to crush you, not to understand you. I'm not talking about allowing uh, you to, you know, go against God and sin, and they're just on you, and it's hard not to get a chip on your shoulder. But somehow, David does it. Remember, David is on the run. How many years did we say last week? 13-ish. So it could be a little less, a little more, but 13 is a long time to be on the run and to keep playing fair for all 13 years. So, you know, until you're in your 14th year, if David could do it, and David's life was on the run, we should be able to take some strength from him. And that's why it's so good to read through the Psalms because we, like last week, I, I think I gave you 57 or 59. I forget which one it was. But that was, that was the Psalm that he wrote in, in, in thinking and processing through what was going on in chapter 19. So moving on. Jonathan says, nothing. You've done nothing wrong and you're not going to die. Really. You're not. My father tells me everything. He does nothing, whether big or little, without confiding in me. So why would he do this behind my back? It can't be. And you got to remember, Jonathan, crown prince, he's supposed to be king. He's accepted he will not be king, but he'll, he'll be right alongside David, helping him be effective, helping him to be successful, Again, Saul can't understand that, but that's where Jonathan's at. Next week, we're going to come back to this passage and a couple others and look at friendship. But today, we're focusing on this idea. And so th this is just amazing. But, you know, we want to say, come on, Jonathan, look at your dad. He makes promises. He breaks promises. Don't you remember he wanted to kill you when you ate that honey and on and on and on and on. He's just, he's just wishful thinking. And sometimes that's the way it is, isn't it? We've got somebody in our life, they've 
hurt us, they've done wrong, but we have hope that they're going to change, or they hope that that's not really true. Maybe we misread it. Maybe they're not being that way. This has got to not be true. It can't be, but it is. It is. And again, that's not to have a chip on your shoulder because David, up until Saul's death, would have rallied around him and helped him. He never let that become an issue for him, which is just, again, totally amazing. But David says, your father knows that we are the best of friends. So he says to himself, Jonathan must know nothing of this. If he does, he will side with David. But if it's true, but it's true, as sure as God lives, as sure as you're alive before me right now, he's determined to kill me. Jonathan said, tell me what you have in mind. And I encourage you, not right now, but as you go on to read chapter 20 and see it goes back and forth as David hatches this plan. Again, we talked about lying last week misleading and how that all works and how it's not supposed to work so we're not going to get into that today but uh there's a plan which is devious and there's lies and all this kind of thing and uh but it's all to find out what's going on in saul's heart and we see that in the rest of the passage and by the way if you don't have a paper copy of a bible you can take that bible in the little rack there and take it home as a gift from seneca community church and also we'd encourage you you have an electronic device to download something like YouVersion. It's free. So let me just read a couple little more excerpts from this. Uh, Jonathan answered, this is after the plan has all gone. Jonathan's with his father. There's this big dinner going on. Jonathan, David's missing. This is uh, second night. Uh, Jonathan answered, David earnestly asked me permission, permission to go to Bethlehem. He said, let me go because our family is observing a sacrifice in the town and my brother has ordered me to be there. If I found favor in your eyes, let me go, get away to see my brothers. That is why he has not come to the king's table. And again, that seems very, very reasonable. Saul's anger flared up at Jonathan and he said to him, your son's a perverse and rebellious woman. Interesting. If you go back to the original languages, the words it uses, if I said those words right now, you would say, I can't believe Dave said that in church. Not nice words. Not nice words at all. Again, translation is going on here. And so you see that. So, um, let's see, don't I know you have sided with the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of you, the mother who bore you? Uh, as long as the son of Jesse lives on this earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Now send someone to bring him to me, for he must die. Jonathan amazingly sits into line and goes kills David. No, that doesn't happen. He stands up for David. Hard. It's hard to stand up in a respectful way to someone in authority over you. Jonathan does it. I don't think he's being disrespectful. He knows who the king is, but he does it. We can see that. We can see how Nehemiah acts in the book of Nehemiah. We can see how Daniel acts, Daniel and his friends. 
and Daniel and his friends especially to unpack that there was respect even though they were standing up to what uh, Nebuchadnezzar wanted. So we read on. Why should he be put to death? What has he done, Jonathan asked his father. But Saul hurled his spear at him to kill him. Now, granted, it's great that Saul is just a bad shot with that spear. This is the fourth time. I'm, where I'm imagining there are some, you know, it's not recorded that must have gotten taken out when Saul was mad, but we don't have that record. But Saul, Saul just, if he gets mad enough, he throws his spear at you. Then Jonathan knew that his father indeed intended to kill David. Jonathan got up from the table in a fierce anger. And on the second day of the festival, he did not eat because he was grieved at his father's shameful treatment of David. I'm surprised Jonathan didn't pick up the spear and throw it right back at his dad. I'm now king. I mean, those things happen. Read history. It happens all the time. We, we're watching things happen sometimes in, uh, in Russia, and we hear stories of somebody who says no to Putin, and all of a sudden they disappear, or they fell out of a window or something like that. There was an accident. Those things, maybe one or two is an accident, but it can't be one after another. There's that authority. We need to be aware of that. One of the takeaways of this is don't waste time on payback. Getting even interferes with moving forward. We see this in David's life. David had opportunities to become king. You know, you know he, could have, he could have taken Saul out, and then the story is this. Grandpa, how would you become king? Well, it was taking forever for me to get king, and God had promised me, so I took things into my own hands, and I ran Saul through. Oh, wow, Dad, that's how you become king. The story of David shows God's hand in him becoming king. I can't really tell you, because you've got to walk with God, be close to God, at how his hand works in your life, because there are some times where you just need to be open-handed and see what God does. And then there's other times where you need to get in there and do your work and have some ambition and some grit and make it happen. That's between you and God. I, I, I could give you guidance. I can draw you a, a big circle and say these are the boundaries, but, but I can't give you what to exactly do. I remember times trying to get uh, my dad to help me make a decision. And I'd lay them out on the table. And this is in my early 20s, into my 30s, into my 40s, into my 50s. Uh, you know. <laughs> and uh, early on, he said, David, I'm not going to make that decision for you. You've got to make that decision. These are reasonable ideas. Now pick one. Well, that's the same way it is true with your Heavenly Father. And if you're not close to him... I would be a little nervous about making those decisions. If you're not spending time with him, you're making it off human experience, human wisdom, which can be very helpful, but you're not making those decisions off a spiritually uh, attuned decision-making. I've joked about this before, but sometimes, you know, when we have a church affirmation vote for a subject, whatever it may be, it's a vote, I would like to say, have people raise their hands. If you've not spent any time with the Lord in the last week, you're excused from taking this vote because you're not voting 
from a relationship that's growing in your life with God. You're voting out of your own thinking. And it may be very good, but it'd be better to have it be God-inspired, God-motivated, uh, a, a relationship um, with, with, with God when you make decisions like that. So, you know, it's wherever you're at, I, you know, college, going into workforce, uh, you know, sometimes uh, students will come and talk with me about that. And I first question I ask them is, how's your relationship with God? Mm, I kind of make it, you know, how, how are you going to, if you're not growing in your relationship with God, your decisions could be faulty. And so I would rather make a decision out of a growing relationship, not a perfect one, not a, but, but that I at least am doing my part by trying to listen to God on a regular basis, not just when I have a decision and I basically want his stamp of approval on something I've kind of already decided to do. I want to be making decisions out of heart that's engaged with God so it's naturally flowing out of my heart because I'm walking with God not just my desires. So what happens when you don't play fair? And this is a little bit of a, a twist, I guess. Uh, when you have someone not playing fair in your life, your response to them isn't to play fair, to set it right. Your response is to not play fair either in the sense of you're not going to give them what you think they deserve. That doesn't mean there shouldn't be consequences. That doesn't mean as a parent there shouldn't be discipline. Again, discipline is designed to guide and shape someone's uh, life. It's to move them forward. Talking with a friend again, it comes back to your relationship with God about discipline. And uh, there's this uh, book called Peter Scazzaro, uh, Growing Healthy Emotionally. And he talks about a latris, uh, you know, thing a, 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 a grapevine grows up. You know, you've got to kind of have it so it grows up properly, I guess. I should have asked Bill or, or Fred or someone about all that, but uh, vineyard people. But, uh, and, you, you know, you kind of guide it. And these offices help you grow your life kind of like that latris. Am I saying that right? Latris goes up there. So, um, again, uh, you know, you're not supposed to play fair. Because if God played fair with you, Jesus would never have come. Game over. Story over. So what do you do? It's funny, when we talk about uh, revenge and those kinds of things, uh, we like to sometimes say we don't like to call it revenge. Returning the favor sounds better. Sometimes we can say, oh, I just want them to experience the consequences of that bad decision. Sometimes that's the right thing, and sometimes that's a payback. Ha-ha, <laughs> let's see how this goes. See how that works for you. Very tempting when you're dealing with your kids not to want them to experience some pain for some of the things, to get punished. See how that works for you. Sometimes that comment means grow from it. Sometimes that comment means I'm sick of this and I don't like the mess creeping into my life as a parent. So see how that works for you. So, you know, our hearts are deceitful. Um, Jeremiah talks about that, doesn't he? So uh, real quick, he says uh, in Romans, we're going to kind of Romans is kind of the principles of what David's functioning, even though it's way before, uh, you know, way after David was born. But these functioning uh, principles for a spirit-filled life, for walking with God, uh, obviously Jesus 
uh, was, a, was a pre-incarnate in David's time, uh, but uh, you know, these ideas uh, you know, all fit together. So the first one is don't hit back. I love that. That's really raw and whatever, but uh, don't hit back. Don't return evil for evil. Don't hit back. You know, we can be guilty of hitting back. I remember one time we were riding someplace in the back of the car, and I'm kind of ashamed by this, and uh, maybe I'll get a spanking when I get home, Dad, for this, but uh, I remember being in the back seat, and my sister was driving me nuts. She was pushing all my buttons. Shame on her for pushing my buttons. Never done this, never done this before. I wound up and punched her in the stomach. And she <laughs> couldn't breathe, you know, kind of like that. And it was, it was, it was, it was a kind of a good moment. And then became a bad moment very quickly. But I was sick of it. And you go, shame on you, Dave. Yes, shame on me. But we hit back in all kinds of ways. We hit back in ways that have nothing to do with physical stuff. Sometimes we withhold advice. Sometimes we withhold money. Sometimes we withhold time. Uh, we, we hit back in all kinds of ways. Sometimes we say something about somebody else. And we're hitting back. We let the story out about someone's sin. And we dress it up in a prayer. But reality is someday, and that makes me a little nervous, someday we'll answer. Was that hitting back or was that sharing a prayer request? Was that getting advice on how to handle something or was that hitting back because we wanted to shame somebody? Man, these are messy things. Thanks be to God that he wants to walk close with us, give us guidance through his spirit, through his word. So if I want to not play fair, if I don't want to hit back even when someone deserves it, I need to be so close to God. He needs to be integrated into all my day, not just devotions in the morning and on I way ago. It needs to be throughout the day thinking about him. Don't hit back. Discover beauty in everyone. Is that for this positive thinking? I think that's a wonderful thing. See the good in somebody. See the value in somebody. See the potential in somebody. So when somebody does your dirty wrong and you want to hit them back and they deserve it, but you're not going to play fair, you say there's something redeemable in this person. That's what I'm going to focus in on. Thankfully, someone focused in on that on me. And somebody focused in on that in you. Discover the beauty in everyone. The fingerprints of God, the fact that everyone is made in the image of God no matter what they're involved with or not involved with. Whatever you think the most horrible thing is, there's the fingerprints of God are on there somewhere. The Bible says it. If you've got it in you, get along with everybody. And I'm going to say get it in you. If you're just a disruptor or a disagreeable person for the sake 
get it in you see the beauty in everyone and get along again i'm not saying uh, avoid consequences we've talked about that in the past i'm not saying you you look the other way when there is something out of alignment in god in their life regarding god if you have the uh, right to speak into their life then you need to do that but but try to get along even the way you say it you say it all the time you know your your approach trumps your content all the time you can approach and get a maybe a hearing or you can approach it and say it absolutely crystal clear and get the person not to listen to you and stomp off being angry it's your choice your approach matters you are responsible for the way you speak into someone else's life set them up for success just imagine it. it'll be someday uh, you know it's not about judgment but there's there is a judgment for christ followers evaluation of their life there'll be some day where where you know jesus is going to have me standing next to somebody and he's going to be all over my case because of the way i approached it and the person who was doing the bad naughty thing over here is going to get less heat than me because my approach stunk it's real stuff don't insist on getting even. That's not for you to do. I'll do the judging, says God. I'll take care of them. Paul goes on to say, our scripture teaches us that if you see your enemy hungry, go buy that person a lunch. He's thirsty, get him a drink. Your generosity will surprise him with goodness. A lot of us have read this verse, and it reads this way. The little last of there, if he's thirsty, give him something to drink. If he's doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. This comes from Proverbs, and this is one of those translation things. So do I be nice to somebody so that I drive them nuts? That sounds like Jesus. No, I'm being nice to you so you can't stand it, so it will be like, you know, your head's on fire because I'm putting coals on you. That doesn't sound very Christ-like or very Christian-like for that to be a goal. Well, it's interesting. Um, this is one of those cultural things where the idea that goes along with this is, is that in early days, in, in Proverbs days, uh, you had a little coal fire going on in your house, and some days it would go out. And so when it would go out, your neighbor might come over and say, hey, uh, you know, I need, I need a hot coal. I need some fire because my fire's going out. I can't, can't make my coffee, you know, and those kinds of things. And uh, so obviously it wasn't coffee. But, uh, you know, the idea of that. And uh, you would go over to your neighbor, and an act of kindness, of generosity, would be to bring some hot coals over to that person so they could get their breakfast going. And you would carry it. It just sounds crazy. You would carry it in this thing. And on your head, you'd like carry a bunch of coals, not just give them one coal. The concept was if you're really generous, you keep just a coal for yourself and give them all your fire. That idea seems more like scripture. So I like the way Eugene Peterson got, cuts right through that and says your generosity will surprise you with goodness because passing that fire on is goodness. It's confusing to say I'm going to be nice to you so that uh, it just makes you angry. I've told you a zillion times, now a zillion and one, about how I used to tell my sister I loved her, just to get her goat. It would push her buttons. Becky, 
I love you. You're the best sister in the world. And, and you know, I what, didn't mean it. And it just, it was coals on her fire. It was burning her head. She was exploding. And I loved to say this. And I would, she would get upset. And mom, and mom would say, what? David's doing this. What's he saying? He loves me. Ha, 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 ha. How can I get in trouble for that? That's not the goal of this. Not the goal at all. When it comes to this. Don't let evil get the best of you. Get the best of evil by doing good. That's not playing fair. Someone doesn't get what they deserve. Just like we didn't get what you deserved. If we're honest with ourselves and if you're just visiting this stuff if it sounds a little crazy to you, but we believe there's a real place called hell, and if you go have a Christless eternity, if you haven't said yes to Christ in your life, that, that when you die, you're separated from God and you go to hell, and it's not a pleasant place to go. It's not a place to go. So what we want to do is we want to overcome the, the bad things and point someone in that direction. The best of evil by doing good. Because the reality is you cannot control how others respond, but you can control how you respond. You can't control how others respond, but you can control how you respond. If we as Christ followers grabbed a hold of that and just held on to that truth, it would radically change our life. You know, every once in a while, uh, we're all getting, trying to get out of the house early in the morning, and there's three people in the kitchen. We also realize that my parents' bedroom is right under the kitchen. So when I'm not happy with my dad, I just bang on the floor a little bit more at five. No, I don't really do that, but it must sound like I'm doing that. And so we're trying to navigate around, and Cindy's trying to get going, and Mariah's trying to get going, and, you know, it's uh, early in the morning, and I just want to get in there and get my coffee filled back up again, and... You know, it's just real easy to be, you know, you know, you're in your way, refrigerator's open, it's beeping, which drives me nuts. Don't leave the refrigerator door open. There's a reason it starts beeping after like three minutes, you know, it's not like 10 seconds, shut the stinking refrigerator door. What do you think we're doing? Trying to, well, actually, I like cool in the area, but that's not the way I want to cool the house. But anyway, so, but you control how you respond. So someone else says, it's probably always me who's saying, and, uh, you know, uh, they, they have to dance around that. It's what you do. You know, um, it's, just, it's just what it is. And when it comes to this idea of our buttons pushed, you know, we, we can't, can't blame God. This is the way he made me. You know, I got a short fuse. I really don't like that. I'm really sensitive to the beeping of the refrigerator. And, and God made me that way. No. When you're tempted... Because you're tempted, don't ever say God has tempted me. Don't ever say God made me this way. For God is incapable of being tempted by evil, and he's never the source of your temptation. He's never the source of your wrongdoing. You and I do that all by ourselves. Instead, it's each person's own desire to get a cup of coffee when there's two other people in the kitchen. Let's and thoughts that drag them into evil and lure them away into darkness. Evil desire gives birth to evil actions. And when sin is fully mature, it can murder you, brings death into your life. 
So my friends, don't be fooled by your own desires. There's a lot of things that have been done in the name of Christ that really is your own desires. You dress it up, you put it in a prayer, you say, I've been reading. It's, it's, no, it's your own desires. So what do we also do? We always return good for evil. That's the idea, again, of giving the coals to your neighbor. It's not to make them miserable. It's not to burn their head off. It's to be generous to them. This verse says, never hold a grudge or try to get even, but plan your life around the noblest ways to benefit others. Wow, that adds a whole nother level. Just don't hit them. Just don't do something bad to them. Just don't be revengeful, but actually try to figure out how to do something good for them. That's Christ-likeness. That's radical. That changes the way your office will be, where you work. That changes your home. That changes everything when you are there to serve somebody else. The noblest ways to benefit others. You do it behind the scenes. You just, you just do it. And, and, and that's not uh, playing fair. Because if playing fair, you wouldn't think that. You'd want them to fail. You'd want them to get the results of whatever they're doing. Also, we see move towards your herders. Move towards them. You're at Walmart. There's somebody there who is nasty to you, not nice to you, and you see them, and you can either go the other aisle and ignore them, or you can go, hey, how you doing? And you're not doing that again to put coals on their head. You're doing it because you're trying to move towards them. And that's tough, you know, I, you know, being in church world, I, I see lots of people that were here and now aren't here. And I see them in Walmart or a gas station. That's just the reality of life. And I have an instant check. And sometimes I can tell they do not want to talk with me. It's kind of like, oh, going that way. And, and sometimes I give them the space. And sometimes I, you know, chase them down, tackle them, though. Hey, give them a big hug. Love you. No, just not. No, I don't do that anymore. It's Becky, my sister. No, just kidding. <laughs> How, what are you doing up here? That's what, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. That's not absence of conflict. It's peace. Shalom. It's healthiness. All the things that go in that, it's so much larger. We don't want peace in the middle. I mean, we, want not, we don't want absence of conflict. Yes, we do want that, but we want so much more. We want peace. We want Christ to return so there'll be peace, so there'll be shalom. We want that. Christ moved towards us, but Christ died for us while we were still sinners. And by this, God showed how much he loved us. Christ departed heaven, came to earth. We just celebrated Christmas. That's a big deal. 
He put it in a cute little story. Big deal. He left heaven. Sometimes I don't want to leave my house when it's hot, you know, because I don't want to leave the air conditioner or whatever and go see. I just don't want to deal with that. He, he leaves all the comforts, all the wonderfulness, all the glory, all the majesty of heaven to come and be a baby and lie in a manger with straw. Not a great deal, but he moves towards. So we, if we're Christ followers, live like him. So we move towards those people. Now, I'm going to say this. That does not mean if someone's abusing you. Someone's been, although, you know, that's a whole nother level. I'm talking about when someone hasn't been nice to you, not been kind to you, been rude to you. That's the kind of thing. When, when, when it's been really, when it's that other kind of situation, that's a whole different thing. That's why it's okay to avoid the toxic and unsafe. We have this verse, as far as it depends on you. Again, seek the person out. But, but if they're toxic, if you hang out with them and it affects you in a negative way, back off. If they're unsafe, back off. It's okay to do that. Avoid toxicity. Avoid it. Now, there are some people I do not talk with because it always steers a certain way. I've told you about that guy. He's passed away now, so I can uh, talk about him a little bit more. This was years ago, and uh, Cindy and I were just married, tight, and uh, every once in a while I'd be out jogging, and uh, he would drive by in his car, and he'd hand me 25 bucks. And back in 1988, 1918, no, not 18, uh, 1989, uh, 90, that was, a, that was a ton of money. But you know what he did? He would always talk down my senior pastor. I was the associate pastor. And one day I said to him, I said, Frank, I can't listen to you berate Pastor Kevin. If he does something immoral, or sinful, my response as his subordinate will be to leave the church. I am not going to go after him the way you're going. You're just picking at him. You can't do that anymore. And guess what happened? No more $25. <laughs> Couldn't I have waited a couple more months? No, but, um, you know, avoid. he was toxic couldn't listen to him. Don't hang out with angry people. Don't keep company with hotheads. Bad temper is contagious. Don't get infected. Don't be fooled. Bad friends will ruin good habits. Don't accept those who come to you, but do not bring this teaching, talking about the good news. Don't invite them into your house. Don't welcome them in any way. And my favorite, which is hard for me to actually implement, is this one. As for a person who stirs up division, and after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. Toxic, unsafe people. When we talk about 
all of this idea about playing fair or playing unfair because we're being kind to someone, it doesn't mean you have to put yourself in those situations. I shudder. I shudder when I've heard of marriages where normally it would be the husband is abusive to the wife physically, emotionally, all, all these things, and the church has said, stay by your man. No, that's toxic and unsafe. Call the police and get out of there. Call someone from the church and we will help you. That is absolutely wrong. That's not what I'm talking about here when I talk about, uh, you know, these kinds of things. When they're, but when they're unsafe and they're toxic, get out. Never personally retaliate. Think you've got that. Don't insist on getting even. That's not for you to do. I'll be the judge, and says God. I'll take care of it. And you know what's great about that? Sometimes I judge a situation in error. I don't know the whole situation. So if I was the judge, I would condemn someone who shouldn't have been condemned. Or I'd let someone pass who shouldn't get a pass. Isn't it great you can trust God? doesn't mean you check your mind at the door and all those kinds of things, but God will take care of setting things right. Let God be God and you be you. You get the idea of that. I'll skip. We're going to move along. Keep your eyes on the end game. Again, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Again, I think it's not about making the person hurt. Your generosity will surprise him with goodness, which might produce shame. There's that idea there, too. Don't let evil get the best of you. Get the best of evil by doing good. Great about that is you might actually make a difference in a person's life. You living or loving and living like Jesus might touch someone's life. They might change. Believe it or not, I've had a few people change because I haven't played by the rule or haven't played fair. I've given them grace. Not many, but a few. A few. Now, I'm going to show a very controversial video clip. And he's like, oh, what's that? He shows video clips that are kind of weird to begin with. What's this? What I like about this is this is an outsider, a non-Christian, sizing up Christianity. So he's going to make some comments I don't buy. So don't go, whoa, he says these three words there. What's that mean? J just get the tone. Get what he says. Oh, sorry. For almost 2,000 years, Christians have been lawyering the Bible to try and figure out how love thy neighbor can mean hate thy neighbor. Martin Luther King gets to call himself a Christian because he actually practiced loving his enemies. But if you rejoice in revenge, torture, and war, hey, that's why they call it the weekend, <laughs> you cannot say you're a follower of the guy who explicitly said, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. He has lines like, do not repay evil with evil and do not take revenge on someone who wrongs you? Really? It's in that book you hold up when you scream at gay people. <laughs> and not to put too fine a point on it, but nonviolence was kind of Jesus' trademark. Kind of his big thing. 
To not follow that part of it is like joining Greenpeace and hating whales. <laughs> I mean, you know, there's interpreting, and then there's just ignoring. You're supposed to look at that figure of Christ on the cross and think, how could a man suffer like that and forgive? But you see, I can say that because I'm a non-Christian, just like most Christians. <laughs> and Christians, I know, I'm sorry, I know you hate this and you want to square this circle, but you can't. I'm not even judging you. I'm just saying logically, if you ignore every single thing Jesus commanded you to do, you're not a Christian. You're just auditing. <laughs> You're not Christ's followers. You're just fans. Tough stuff. Again, I don't agree with everything he said. But there's more people that believe that, and they have evidence to believe that. Do we ignore instead of interpret? Are we more of a fan or are we a follower? Follower means inconveniencing ourselves and obeying what God wants for us to do. LeVon, I've lost connection with the remote, so could you go to the next one? We follow Jesus who died for his enemies. That is so foreign to us. We follow Jesus who died for his enemies. The bottom line is this. Life is unfair, but recognize it's ultimately unfair in your favor. Because if life was completely fair, you and I would not have a Savior. Because it's not fair. You and I don't deserve a Savior. But because Jesus doesn't play fair, we have a savior. But when you bump into other people that don't play fair, take a look at how David navigates Saul. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word. It stings. It's hard to hear. It can break our hearts. And that's okay if it breaks our hearts. Lord, I ask that you would help us to be followers, not just fans. Lord, we ask that you would help us to grow and lean into the direction of the way David interacted with Saul. He was not vindictive. He didn't seek out revenge. He just tried to not go there. Help us not to go there and help that to be a fantastic, powerful way that points to you. And Father, if there's anyone here who's never placed their trust in you, never established a relationship with you through your son, we ask that this would be the moment that person has questions. We pray that they just would not leave here without talking to yourself, talking with Reverend Lori, whoever and find out a little bit more about what it means to follow Christ. We thank you in Jesus' wonderful name.